morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Let me try that again. How's everybody doing? All right. Good. There, there you are. Welcome to church this morning. Thanks for being here on a rainy, nasty, uh, wintry Sunday morning. But thank you for your faithfulness and your loyalty to be here. Um, I want to uh, just kind of recap just a little bit. Maybe there's some of you today, this is your first time here or you haven't been here the whole month. And so we've been talking about a series called Real Change, and today we're going to end it. And so uh, I'm just going to try to put just a, a big bow on this as we close it out today. But if uh, you haven't been with us, we've uh, talked about, about freedom. We've talked a lot about how to get free, how to stay free. And then we talked about the role of Scripture in our lives and how much we need it and uh, just kind of some history on it and what's the best way to get it in us and, and to live from that, that word. And then today we're going to end by talking about a word that really can keep a lot of us, I'm even going to say could keep most of us from changing at all, and that's the word control, okay, control. Two big things that we immediately know about control. And it's this. Number one, we're in love with it. And number two, we want more of it. Okay? We love being in control and we want more of that feeling. Okay? It's this constant tension of being able to say, I want to control that and I want to be able to do it more. Okay? And so to help us with this, I'm just going to give us a general definition of what control even is, just, so, just to put us all on the same page this morning. So here it is. Definition of control really has two components with it. First one is this, the power to influence behavior or the course of an event. The second definition is the ability to restrict an activity or phenomenon. Okay, now I want, I want you to leave, leave that up for just a minute. I want you to see this first part again. The power to influence behavior or the course of an event. Think about how amazing you would be if you could do that. If you could, could actually control your children's behavior, your spouse's behavior, your boss's behavior, if you could just control an event like the weather, sports outcomes, how amazing would it be to choose who's going to win the Super Bowl or who's going to do that? And then you could even bet some money because you already know who's going to win it. What if, what if we could control so many of those things in our life? We try to, right? We do everything we can to be able to control the things in our lives, and sometimes that does bleed over into we want to be able to control people. We want to be able to control places and things and ideas. And everybody has an opinion. Everybody wants to wield it and then draw people toward your side of things. We're addicted to control. We've seen control ruin lives, not just in our time, but in Bible times. We've seen people who wanted control, wanted, wanted the power of that, wanted to have influence over people and over events, and it was why they even let their feet hit the floor in the morning. They wanted control. Robbie and I, when we were, this was several years ago, I'd just finished my undergrad, 
and we were going to go and celebrate. So we were going to go spend some money, eat somewhere that we wouldn't norm normally eat. And we were driving down 167 South, heading to Little, Little Rock. And right at exit 16 at Cabot, this car comes onto the on or coming on onto the uh, the highway, and me and another car side by side. This car just flies up, hits the car next to me, and in an attempt to dodge, he hits me. So all three of us, bang, 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 just like dominoes. I hit the median. This is before we had that, you know, fancy wiring going down through there. And I hit that, spun around, faced oncoming, was flying down through there. I, I was lucky I didn't flip the car. And it stopped, and I actually drove it home. But the guy just kept on trucking. Woo! He, he wasn't even playing around. But I remember that feeling of just when you know that no matter what you do to the steering wheel, it's not going to help the circumstance. It's like, Jesus, take the wheel. You know, and so you, you're just sitting there hoping and praying that you don't flip, that someone doesn't die, that, that something um, you know, doesn't happen to other people. But it's this terrible motion of just spinning and out of control and high emotion high energy, and no matter what you try, things are already in motion of being out of control. And it's a terrible, terrible feeling. And so this morning, we're going to look at a scene in Scripture where this very thing is happening to the apostles. They are out of control. It's very important, though, for us to recognize that the story we are reading is happening to followers of Jesus, while Jesus is present, okay? This is very important to what I'm trying to teach this morning. So make sure that you read it through that particular lens. These are followers of Jesus, and all of this out-of-controlness is happening while Jesus is present, okay? So let's go to Matthew chapter 8. I'm going to read a very popular passage of Scripture, verse 23, 327, reading from the NIV. Then he, being Jesus, got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Okay, now right there I can stop and say, say this. If we really believe in, in the foreknowledge of Christ, then we have to know that he was setting them up for a teaching moment. He got into the boat, they followed him, okay? And right then he had them. This was going to be a teaching moment, verse 24. And suddenly... A furious storm came up, okay? I don't know about you, but I've had a few and suddenlies in my life, okay? You're going along, you're minding your, and suddenly this, and suddenly that, and suddenly, out of nowhere, this or that happens to us, right? A furious storm came up on the, the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping, Verse 25, the disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. And he re re replied, you have little faith. Why are you so afraid? This is a great question, okay? Why are you so afraid? And I want to start with that question. I want you to ask yourself that. Why are you so afraid? I want you to look at where your life is right now and some of the things surrounding it, and I want you to answer this question for you. Why are you so afraid. Suddenly a storm. And you go to God and you say, you know, listen, wake up. You've got to fix this. What's going on? You're just going to let us drown? Save us. Same quote. Why are you so afraid? 
So he got up and rebuked the winds and waves, and it was completely calm. Verse 27, the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this that even the winds and the waves can obey him? Amazing story. Have you ever personally been out of control? I want you to think about that for just a minute. You ever had an out-of-control experience? An out-of-control relationship? An out-of-control season? And it could be like in, in, a, in a car like ours was. It could be on a plane. Maybe it was during a house fire. Maybe it was a hard conversation with your spouse or your boss. Maybe your spouse is your boss. Maybe that out-of-control feeling came over you while being in a doctor's office or sitting at a graveside. And all of a sudden, you had that same feeling that I have, that, that feeling of no matter how I put my hands on this, no matter what I see, no matter what I try to do to fix this, it's already in motion of being out of control. I can't do it. My talents won't fix it. My thinking won't change the comprehension of other people. And I wish I could have that influence over behavior and events right now to control it. We want to control our, our own lives. And I think a lot of times we're tempted when we come to the cross, we're saying, God, I give my life to you. But what we're really saying is, God, why don't you get in on what I'm already up to and take what I want to do to a new place? Because we want to stay in control, in control of the future, in control of our dreams, in control of, of our giftedness and our passions. We have an idea of what we want to do in that. And a lot of times, and I, I say this, this often, but a lot of times we're scared of joining in with God because it's like a rock in a river. It just changes the direction of life for us. People are completely different when they come to Christ. And there's a room full of you to testify to that. We come to God, it changes our, our control. Whatever your story is, it's always a challenge to, in that moment of being out of control, to actually live by faith. I think that living by faith is fun to talk about. It's, it's fun to be in a life group or a Sunday school class or discipleship program, whatever you're involved in, and talk about living by faith. It, it feels good. It feels accomplished like, like you've talked about it. Faith is out there. I have access to it. It's great. Somebody reads a scripture. Somebody prays over it. And it's like, it's like you feel um, good about talking about it, but you let an actual out of control circumstance and end suddenly come into your life where you've got to live by faith. That's something entirely different. I think living by faith is similar to how people talk about losing weight. It's encouraging to talk about it. I'm going to lose weight. This is my year. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to do it. It's, it's January 2019, baby. 40 pounds, they're coming off. The LBs are going to fall. I am doing it right here. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you heard, but I, I joined NUMA. And uh, <laughs> I go to one of those rotisserie classes in the morning. Just went to Lululemon, bought some full body spandex to keep in all the juices. You know, it's like people talk about it. 
But actually going and doing and losing and working out and running and sweating and earning it and eating better, I don't know, that's something entirely different. Living by faith is the exact same thing. We talk about it, we get version downloaded, we're getting into Bible plans, we're joining life groups, we're doing all these things, but when it comes to the out of control moment where the rubber meets the road, you go, man, I gotta live by faith here. See, living by faith is not in our, in our, our nature, but what is in our nature, as, as this story reveals, is to freak out, is to be full of fear. That is in our nature, to lose it to fall apart, to start the whining and complaining and begging, just like these men of God. Lord, save us. You going to let us drown after all this? I thought you and I were friends. We thought you were the savior of the world, and you're going to let us drown out here in this and suddenly moment? Fear's an interesting emotion can come on you in seconds, and the cause be as small as a stealthy spider or as large as a roaring lion. Fear is the same in those two examples. So let's look at a few thoughts from this story in Matthew. The first thing is this. Stillness does not equate to weakness. Okay, Stillness does not equate to weakness. Psalm 46 and 10 says, Be still... And know that I'm God. That in my moment of out of control, I need to be still. Not freak out. Not do something crazy. Not start letting my mouth run. Get control of of my mind, my thoughts, my emotional construct. I've got to get a hold of myself. Because the presence of God is going to reign in this circumstance if I will be still and know that he is God. It's very difficult to be still when things are out of control. In this story, be still means stay in the boat. Don't panic. I don't know if you've ever read this before, but I laugh every single time I come across it. But do you know what the most used phrase is by travelers on a plane that's experiencing significant turbulence? It's this phrase. I want off this plane. (laughs) And I always go, are you sure? I mean, really? Let's think about this, okay? It's like people are like, I just want off. I got to get off. I got to get out of here. And, and all of a sudden, I mean, you know, people start to freak out. And, and you look, I don't know if you've ever been on a plane when it gets real panicky, but it's quite entertaining. And so you look around, it starts to get contagious. People are like, well, if they're freaking out, I want to freak out. And people start pushing the buttons and the stewardesses are coming. Can I help you? Can I? And people are like, yeah, I need whatever you got back there. I need a shot of it right now. And, 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 and all of a sudden, this panic just starts going through that pressurized tube at 40,000 feet in the air. And people are like, I just want off. I want out of here. Okay. See, when we are out of control, we do not think rationally, obviously, okay? It's when life is out of control that people say, I want a divorce. It's when life is out of control that that people say, let's just move and start over. It's when life is out of control that people say, I quit. 
It's when life is out of control that people say things like, let's sell our kids and buy a small home in the Bahamas. Okay. And to you, that makes sense right then. Okay. Let's sell those kids. I know the black market, it's, it's high right now. When we're out of control, we, we don't think right. But what every therapist in this room will tell you, and there's a lot of them, is that when people try and run from trauma or run from someone or run from something, somehow that trauma, someone, or something always ends up in the suitcase. You can never get rid of something in your rearview mirror until you are first willing to actually deal with it. Running from something. Saying, I just want off this. I want off this ride. I want away from you. I want away from these kids. I want away from this job. I want out of this church. I, I just, I just got to go. When we are doing that, somewhere in your suitcase, that situation hops in. And all you do is open up the back of that U-Haul trailer, and it just the situation is right there, no matter what the zip code. So if you're a note taker, I want you to write this part down. What you are not willing to deal with today, you will see again tomorrow. What you're not willing to deal with today, you will see again tomorrow. And you can create more chaos with an exit plan than if you will just be still and know. You're freaking out and planning and irrational thoughts are not helping. So just be still and know. In Mark chapter 6, verse 48, there is another story of the disciples being challenged by, by the, the weather. And it says this, that he saw the disciples straining at the oars, Okay? Because the wind was against them. Now, the King James, Ver the King James Version says it, it this way. He saw them toiling in their rowing. They were struggling. But watch this. I've always found this interesting that there was no plan to abandon ship. What they did was they kept doing what they were trained to do, which was row. They kept on rowing. In the middle of their end, suddenly, they kept doing what they knew to do, okay? Now, you and I need to do the exact same thing, and what does that mean for us? It means that you keep on trusting, you keep on praying, you keep on believing, you keep on being still, you keep on being confident, you keep on knowing, you keep doing what you know is true about God and get through your end suddenly by being still and knowing, not freaking out, not being full of fear. Okay, the second thing, there will be times that you sense Jesus is near but think he's asleep. I don't know if you've ever been through a, a circumstance that you go, how did God let this happen? You got those big question marks in our lives. How did this happen? How did, how did this happen to me? And suddenly your faith kind of turns to where you think, I know God is with me, but I, I think he's asleep. And just like these apostles, you are like shaking the Messiah. 
Are you going to let, let me drown? Are you not going to save us? I think this is relevant to all of us. Okay, if you've been on a faith journey for any length of time, you've probably had a contradiction in your faith. So you're going to him going, are you not going to do anything? Are you not going to fix this? Are you not going to invade my marriage and take over the thoughts and actions and behaviors of the person I'm married to? Are you not going to help in this circumstance? Are you not going to save us? Isn't it? We're saying the same things. It's the exact same thing. Sometimes we're going to feel like he's near, but he's not being active. And I love this part of the story because Jesus is so tired. I want you to get, get the context of this. He's been ministering and he's exhausted. He's so tired that he falls asleep in the bottom of a wooden fishing boat in a storm. Now that's tired. Okay, and so he is down there just asleep. And this part of the text, without doubt, is one of my favorite components because we see him as both God and man. See, when he's so tired that he can sleep in the bottom of a wooden fishing boat, he's acting like his mama. But when he gets on the bow and speaks to the waves and tells them to hush, he's acting like his father. Okay, we, we, we see both components of, of his humanity. And so these times, hear me, when Jesus is asleep in the storm are ordained times when you have an opportunity to grow your faith. Because the first thing he does when they shake him out of slumber is he says, Oh, ye of little faith, why are you so full of fear? Why are you so afraid? Because listen, if he's in your boat, and he is, that's all the confidence that you need, need to have. He is with you through every and suddenly in your life. No matter what comes, no matter what people come and go, no matter what jobs come and go, no matter what circumstances come and go, he is with you in your boat, and you just have to be still and know with confidence that he is with you. Keep in mind, that these disciples knew he was the son of God and they were still afraid. They were in the exact same condition you and I are in. They were serving. They were living righteously. They were striving for the work of, of the kingdom. They were with him. They were walking daily with him. And still, they were afraid. I've often wondered over the years of reading this story of Jesus was actually modeling faith here. Was he encouraging us to rest in our storms? Was he encouraging us to just, hey, don't worry. As a matter of fact, don't worry so much that you can even sleep through some of this. Okay? That's how great of confidence. It makes me wonder if that's what he's trying to do is just model that, that to us. This should speak loudly to us this morning. Contradictions in our revelation of God create questions. Just like these guys. They, they thought, since I'm walking with you, we shouldn't even have any trouble. Are you not going to save us? That's the question of the contradiction of their revelation of Jesus. Since you're with me, everything should be okay, so what's the problem? We still do this. We, we want to know. We still have big looming questions, but a question does not have authority in your life. 
the revelation that you have of Jesus does. Okay? Now, questions are not a problem. And I told you this a couple of weeks ago that if you have a question, you ask it. Don't feel like you're having low faith because you have a question. Questions are how we seek God. And he says to to do that. Seek me. You're going to find me. So ask questions. Abraham had a question. And the question was answered uh, with with another question, which was, is anything too hard for God? This was an attempt at getting Abraham to stop looking at the contradiction and start living out what he really knew about God. And don't let this slip by you this morning. This is for all of us in, in this room. You're spending way too much mental real estate on your worry and your contradiction and what you think God should be doing than just having faith in him to finish it, to do it, to protect you, to get you through it, right? And so, watch this. Putting yourself in the position to feed off of what God has not done rather than what he is doing is a slippery slope. If you live your life looking at what God has not done, you're about five minutes away from being depressed. We have to live from the state of mind of what God is doing right now, the wins, the good stuff, where we see his hand at work and trust him for what what we think should be doing. It is perfectly normal to take your question to God, but we should remain in the attitude that says this, God, my faith in you is not dependent upon you answering this question. Now, I think this is important because this is where a lot of people get out. They open the, the door of the, the church or their relationship with God, and they get out right here because they, they say to themselves, if you can't resolve this in my mind, if you can't make this storm make sense, then I'm out. And this becomes a tipping point for them. But this is not faith. See, what, what you're doing is you're moving from faith to fact. You want to know. You want to be able to cognitively explain to yourself why this circumstance has happened. And that's not how faith works. Faith is full of question marks. It is full of things that don't make sense. But it gives us this great courage to be able to go, God, I trust you, and my faith in you is not dependent upon the answer that you provide me. Because if we do that, we're going to be driven and tossed by every wind that comes in our, our, our way. There will be no anchor for you. You will just succumb to every storm that comes in your life because you're going to want every storm to make sense. And I can tell you this, we're 100% conclusive in this place that not every storm in our life adds up. Are y'all with me this morning? Philippians chapter 4, I always love this verse when I'm talking about this topic. And the peace of God, it says which transcends or rises above 
All understanding, watch, watch how powerful his, his writing is here, will guard your heart. Okay, now, he could have stopped there, but he goes on to say, and your what? Mind. The things I'm thinking about, the things that keep me up at night, the things that want an answer, the things that want, want resolve, the things that need this conflict to make some sense. He said, that peace is going to transcend that part of you. Right? I'm going to invade your life with so much peace that it doesn't have to make sense to you. Okay? And years ago, and I've said, I say this at least two times every year to our church, you cannot have peace that transcends understanding until you forfeit your right to understand it. That's what living by faith is. If it's always got to make sense to me, that's not faith. You're trying to live from fact. But faith is me going, God, I give up my right to make my, everything in my life make sense. I give up my right to look at every relationship I've been in or how my marriage went bad or why my kids aren't being respectful or why this person hurt me or why that job fired me or, or this or that. Whatever circumstance in your life that you don't feel is measuring up to your expectation and you just go to God and you say, I forfeit my right to those answers, that is living by faith. I'm just going to trust him. I'm going to be still and and. And, and no. So I don't have to understand. When we're living by faith, that's what we're, we're saying. God, I don't have to understand it. I just love you. I trust you. I don't have to make it all make sense. So Jesus has never blessed a storm. And this is how we're able to know that he's God. No, number three. I want to call this the significance of insignificance. In our heart, we believe God to do the miraculous. Why? Because we believe that's what Scripture teaches, that he's able to do miraculous things. Now, I will agree, over the years, those miraculous things have looked differently. A miracle can be anything from a blind eye opening to see to someone who's friendless having a friend. Miracles look completely different. But I believe that he's a miraculous God because that's what scripture says he is. And there are occasions when we see God address the big list in our lives, what we'll call the A-list, okay, the big stuff. Speaking to our storms, healing the sick, restoring a marriage that you had already given up on, okay, but have you ever thought that Christ revealed himself to the world as a miracle worker over something as insignificant as wine? That was his coming out as a miracle worker. And I love, I love that context that Mary, Mary goes to him and is like, hey, listen. I don't know if you've heard, but we're kind of, they're out of wine over here. And he says, woman, my time has not yet yet come. Now, this is not a disrespectful statement. In this particular culture, woman, addressing a woman by saying woman was, was a thing of, 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 of honor, like saying ma'am. This is basically saying mom, 
back off. <laughs> but watch what she does. She turns to the servants and she goes, whatever he tells you to do, you just do it, okay? I'm cooking up a plan. <laughs> Isn't that what happens? Okay, sure it is. So he's like, oh, I got to do all this. So suddenly, all these water pots, you know, full of the good stuff. I'm not going to start a theological debate. I'm just going to say it was, it was good. Okay. Some of y'all right now are now thinking about Colton's. Oh, the good stuff. I mean, seriously, his first miracle was not raising somebody up from the dead. It wasn't Lazarus come forth. It was wine at a girl's wedding. Okay? Now, here's, here's what I'm talking about, the significance of insignificance. Because a lot of times we think we're going to go to God with the big stuff. You know, we're going we're gonna to hit him with all these and suddenlies. The storm is upon us. It's going to kill us. But I want to tell you how much the Lord lo- loves you today. If he cares enough about a girl's wedding, if he cares enough about an axe head that was borrowed that fell into a river, if he cares and sees that every sparrow falls to the ground, the wilting of every flower, you know what I think? I think he cares a lot about you. Because if he cares about the insignificant stuff, And he cares about the significant stuff. That means he cares about my entire experience in this world. And he'll speak to the greatest of storms. But he'll also speak to the little insignificant things in my life. I'm confident that he cares about something in you that feels insignificant. Let me close with this. How out of control do you feel right now, right? Like if you were to just sit and be still, not, not be driven by notifications on your phone, what's going to happen this afternoon, what Monday looks like, but if right now for ju- you just be present for just a minute, what in your life has an end suddenly attached to it? could be your marriage, your finances, your parenting, tomorrow morning. But let me give you three little n- n- nuggets of application here, okay? Don't sabotage yourself. Stay in the boat. Okay? Nobody make an exit plan or run off or do anything crazy. Why are you so full of fear? Don't sabotage yourself. Stay in the boat. Number two, don't trust your question over the answer. So stay full of faith. Don't trust your question. Don't let the question be louder than the response. Stay full of faith. And don't let a storm that will pass. It has an expiration date on it. But don't let the storm derail you. Stay in rest. It is okay to be in a storm and be in the bottom of the boat asleep. You can rest in this. 
Don't be full of anxiety. Don't be full of panic. Don't be full of depression. Rest. All right? Bow your heads with me really quick today.